You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We continue to hear the reading of the Word of God from Matthew chapter 10, where we begin reading at verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men... I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. The text of scripture to which we give our attention this morning is 1 Samuel 2, verses 11 through 36. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy, that is Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand and he would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, Let the fat be burned up first, and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, No, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. 
Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, Those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel, in your family line there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind I will firmly establish his house, and he will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread, and plea, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Beloved brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, God sometimes does things so quietly that we barely notice, if at all, what is happening. While wickedness and sin grows, even among the people of God, the Lord Yahweh of hosts quietly brings about reformation. 
Such a thing we see happening here in our text as Yahweh raises up a faithful servant to replace the wicked ones. There was, a, there was great wickedness in the priestly house of Eli. Eli was the high priest at Shiloh at the time. Hophni and Phinehas, his two sons, were also serving as priests. But they were acting wickedly. In fact, they were growing more and more wicked all the time. The sons of Eli were guilty of outrageous sin in two areas. Both these sins were happening at the sanctuary, the holy place, at Shiloh. The sanctuary was becoming a place where sin was committed rather than confessed. The first area of sin had to do with sacrifice. While they sacrificed, the sons of Eli ignored the strict regulations that God had given them. In particular, we're told they weren't satisfied with the portion of the sacrifices that the Lord had allotted to them and were therefore robbing God's portion. God had said in His law, that the fat of the animal was the Lord's portion. It belonged to God alone. In Leviticus 3, it is even called God's food. His bread. Eli's sons were taking the fat as their portion before serving God his. Let's take a closer look again at the verses 12 through 17 of our text. Look at what we read in the second part of verse 12. It said that they had no regard for the Lord. Literally, they cared nothing for Yahweh. Or actually, even more literally, they did not know Yahweh. Verse 13. They invented a three-pronged fork to snatch the meat. Verse 15. What we read there, but even before the fat was burned, remember the fat was the Lord's portion. Before, even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the Priest, some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And verse 16, they were acting like bullies. They belonged to the high and mighty that Hannah had mentioned in her song. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. There is Hannah's song. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry, hunger no more. These are the high and mighty who are snatching the food, who are filling themselves. And then verse 17, they, they were treating the Lord's offerings with contempt. Later, the man of God will accuse them of 
in verse 29, literally of kicking against the sacrifice and offering. If the first sin of the sons of Eli was in the area of sacrifice, their second sin was of a sexual nature. Eli's sons were fornicating with the women who served at the tabernacle, as we read in verse 22. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. These were women who did various chores at the Lord's tent. They were supposed to be virgins. They were holy women dedicated to the Lord. But Hophni and Phinehas defiled these virgins and raped them. And by doing this, they were also defiling God's sanctuary. By drawing near to uncover the nakedness of these young women and violate them, Hophni and Phinehas were acting like strangers who draw near to the tabernacle and violate it. The women around the tabernacle were being raped. And this was a sign that the tabernacle itself was being raped. Uncovering the nakedness of the women was as much as ripping down the curtains of the tabernacle of of God. Instead of protecting the dedicated virgins, the sons of Eli treated them like pagan shrine prostitutes as was done among the nations. This is what makes sexual sin so abominable, brothers and sisters. By engaging in sexual immorality, when people uncover nakedness outside of marriage, they defile the holiness of the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know how the Bible calls our body the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now this is something that especially the boys and men among us need to be aware of. When you uncover the nakedness of a girl or a woman that does not belong to you, or doesn't yet belong to you, you are not just defiling that particular woman or girl, you are defiling the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are ripping down the curtains of the temple of God. That's what makes pornography. Gazing at someone's nakedness. So wicked. That's why the Lord also wants girls and women to dress with modesty and holiness. He wants them to appropriately cover their nakedness to be enjoyed by their husbands or future husbands only. He wants the curtains of His holy temple in place. Not only was there great wickedness in the priestly house, the house of God, 
if I can speak somewhat anachronistically, there was also no church discipline. Sure, Eli rebuked his sons, but only lamely and ineffectively. No, Eli could not stop his sons from acting wickedly. But he could have prevented them from serving in God's house, his tent. Notice also that Eli was more concerned with how the people were viewing the sins of his sons than with how God saw their sin. Verses 23 and 24, So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. Sure, he warned his sons about the the consequences of sinning against God, but he in no way restrained or punished them. His rebuke was lame and didn't cut to the heart. The issue was not that they were sinning before God's people, it was that they were sinning before God. As a father, Eli was a cupcake. Eli was actually guilty of sharing the sins of his sons. We're told later in the story that that Eli became heavy. That's the word that's used there. He became heavy. He grew fat, we would say. It says in chapter 4 that he was so big and fat that when he fell backward off his chair, he broke his neck and died. You see, Eli was glorifying himself by fattening himself with the Lord's food instead of glorifying God by seeing to it that the food was offered to him. There's a play of words here. The Hebrew language. Eli was... Cavoding himself by coveting himself. He was glorifying himself by fattening himself. And kavod belongs to the Lord. Glory belongs to the Lord. Notice actually that the man of God accuses Eli of honoring his sons above God. Look in verse 29, the second part. Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? Eli's sin was putting his boys before his God. He put his boys before his God. You know how Jesus warns against this in Matthew 10, which we read? Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Eli was demonstrating gutless compassion for his sons. He was trying to spare his son's feelings. Eli was being nice to his boys. Nice. But you know, brothers and sisters, niceness does not equal love. 
The failure of fathers to discipline their sons is a, is a theme throughout Samuel. Actually, Eli failed to rebuke his sons firmly. Later in Samuel, we're told how Saul rebuked Jonathan, but for his righteousness. We also hear later in Samuel how, how even David failed to restrain his sons. God disciplines the children He loves. Listen to what Jesus says to the church in Laodicea, also to the church in Langley. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. And this is why, elders, church discipline is so necessary in the church of God. And this is why we, as Christ's church, not just the elders, need to take it so seriously. And church discipline is not only a matter of warning people when they're doing wrong. It is also a matter of taking decisive and prompt action when they do not repent. Eli warned his sons all right. But he failed to take action against their outrageous sin. He wanted to be nice to his boys. Perhaps he thought, if I'm nice to them and patient with them, maybe they'll change. That kind of psychology was already in fashion back then. And look what happened. He ended up being an accomplice in their sins. This is something for us to bear in mind as members of the church of God and as office bearers in particular. If we think that church discipline is just about warning someone and, and for the rest remaining nice to them, as if our niceness is going to change their hearts, then we are on a very dangerous road and we are sending people on a very dangerous road to the brink of a cliff, eternal disaster. Then we really become complicit in their sin. The same applies, of course, to discipline in the family circle. You can warn and even threaten your children time and again. But when your child's disobedience and sin continues, you need to take decisive and prompt action. Since Eli did not discipline his sons, his house is doomed. Since he kicked against the Lord's sacrifice, in a sense, trampled on the blood of the covenant, his house will be punished. Since he has despised the Lord's house, the Lord will despise Eli's house. Eli's strength will be cut off. Verse 31. Literally, his arms will be cut off. Just as the arms of Dagon were cut off. Eli has treated God lightly and he has given weight, kavod, to his sons. 
By giving weight to his sons, he makes himself weighty with the fat of the Lord's offerings. But, but this very weightiness will mean his death. Eli's house will not be totally cut off, but none of his children will live to old age, and during the kingship of Solomon, the house of Eli will finally be totally extricated from the priesthood, as we read in 1 Kings 2. The punishment fits the crime. Verse 36, Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a crust of bread and plead, appoint me to some priestly office so I can have food to eat. Hannah's song again, those who were full, hire themselves out for food. Eli's sons have been fattening themselves on the Lord's bread, so the Lord's judgment is that they will be left begging for bread. Brothers and sisters, remember what Peter says in 1 Peter 4. Judgment begins with the family of God. Now notice the contrast here between Eli's house and Hannah's house. Eli's house languishes And Hannah's house receives children, like we read in, like we read in, in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, again Hannah's song, she who is barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. And God quietly does his work of reformation. He raises up his priestly servant, Samuel. Our text reads something like a percussion solo. In this percussion solo, we hear the repetitive, uneasy rumbles of the gong and the ominous shudders of the kettle drum. They announce the wickedness and doom of the priestly house of Eli. But while the gong keeps rumbling and the kettle drum goes on shuddering, we also begin to hear the steady, jubilant and bright splash of cymbals. Whereas the sons of Eli are growing in their wickedness, Samuel is growing in righteousness. Listen to the splash of the cymbals. Verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Splash of the cymbals. Another splash of the cymbals in verse 18. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen Ephod. There's another splash of the symbols in the second part of verse 21. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And again, 
Another splash of the symbols in verse 26. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Finally, in chapter 3, verse 1, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. But it all happens much more quietly than a percussion solo. Here the analogy breaks down. Growth seldom makes noise. And in Samuel, God is growing his new leader. The little boy Samuel, quietly growing up in Shiloh, gives us hope. He grows from a toddler into a teenager. By the end of the narrative, Samuel has grown to full manhood. Shiloh is the last place we would expect to find the Lord growing a faithful young priest. It's the last place we would expect God to choose to send His prophet for training. Especially on-the-job training. Yes, sometimes the Lord raises up His servants in the most unlikely households. But that's just another reminder that throwing down and setting up pillars is God's work and not ours. It happens so quietly and so unexpectedly that we easily miss it altogether. But you see, brothers and sisters, this was just a prelude to the coming of the great servant of God the great Son of God, He too would be born in a miraculous, unexpected way. He would be born of a virgin, Mary by name. And He would not merely grow up in the temple of God, He would grow up to become the temple of God. We read of Him too, that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Quietly, almost completely unnoticed, he grew from a baby to a 12-year-old boy to the steady tap of his carpenter father's hammer and then into full manhood. He would far exceed Samuel in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. For he would be a perfect high priest. He would bring the perfect sacrifice, giving up himself rather than grabbing for himself. He would not kick against the sacrifice. He would be the sacrifice with which God would be totally pleased. He would not defile the temple of God. Rather, He would cleanse it and make it holy. 
He would glorify and honor His bride, the church. He would not strip her and uncover her nakedness. Rather, He would clothe her with the most beautiful and and glorious garments and present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And we, the church, are that bride. God continues to do His work, sometimes quietly and completely unnoticed. Brothers and sisters, if things are quiet among us, may it be because we are growing up into the full maturity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.